Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you could find our stuff. You can also follow us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter and connect with us on Facebook, Longhorn Republic Podcast on there. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who just can't quit this Texas Longhorn team, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I wish I could quit you, Texas. No, I, uh, I, I'm good, Gerald. We're talking about we're talking about football. I'm I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing optimism. We're going to talk about it, and uh, and everything's going to be good. Nothing bad has happened to Texas football or my baseball team or any teams like that um, recently. So we're just going to talk about all the good stuff that's 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 to come. All the uh, all the positives down the road. But I'm good. How are you? You know, my Miami Dolphins got a win over the weekend, um, presumably trying to prove that they're not tanking by screwing up their tanking efforts to, by beating a team. But that's neither here nor there. I always feel bad for players on teams that are tanking. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the Texas Longhorns taking on the Kansas State Wildcats. I guarantee you I'm going to call them the Kansas State Jayhawks at least once today because I do that every time we record about Kansas State. Let's see when it happens. And if you can catch it, you win a brand new nothing prize. But feel free to tweet at me and tell me that I screwed it up. So Kansas State 6-2 and two on the season, 3-2 and two in Big 12 play. Won their last three games, including a 48-41 to win over the Oklahoma Sooners and beat the Kansas Jayhawks, who looked like a national championship contender, at least when they played the Texas Longhorns, by a convincing three scores. Kyle, Texas needs to win this game to keep its hopes for a Big 12 championship alive unless chaos rules in the Big 12. How are you feeling going into Saturday? Like, if I'm being honest, Gerald, I don't care about whatever stats and numbers and figures and research you're going to tell me. 1-0, baby. Tom Herman has had a week. A week where Texas is in the others receiving votes. They're 26 in one poll and 27 in the other. And no number next to their name. Kansas State got to beat OU, which they didn't. They get a number next to their name. He has had all of the material that he needed for a classic Tom Herman you're the underdog, chip on your shoulder, everything's against you, you got to come out and show the world, shock the world. Again, this is Texas. Kansas State has zero, four, and five-star players on their entire roster. That's not a joke. They have recruited zero, four, and five-star players in the cycles that make up the roster of their team. This is obviously a more talented Texas team. It is a team with history and lineage, whatever. They aren't the underdogs, but they're going to feel like the underdogs. And I am fully confident that they come out just, we can get in the the why they do that, the how they do that, and everything in a moment. But just from a a heart, pants on fire, tired of hearing the same underdog BS about how, you know, they're being slept on, Texas comes out and wins this one. 
I said it last week, or I guess two weeks ago, that because Texas opened as an underdog, they were going to win by three scores, and they lost <laughs> to TCU by 10. So I have no sense of boldness or no sense of really anything about this game uh, other than Kansas State is a team that is beatable. Yes. If Texas brings its A game, which we haven't really seen since LSU – then they can they can win this game. Now, the reason why I bring up LSU is because Texas is scheduled to get back a ton of talent for this game. Caden Stearns returning. Jordan Whittington returning. Overshone likely to play or probable, as Tom Herman called him in the Monday press conference. B.J. Foster expected to be back at full strength with nursing a shoulder injury. Jeff McCullough, a guy who didn't practice uh, earlier in the bye week or even leading up to the the, the media conferences this week, uh, is still pretty doubtful for Saturday. But uh, I'm going to be really honest with you, he's the one that I'm probably worried about the least of this group just because there's a, a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, at linebacker. So uh, the Kansas State offense, I guess we can start there because the defense is going to be hopefully uh, Texas back at full strength. Uh, as a rule, they basically run twice as much as they pass. I did the math uh, and it's literally like a 50.6 percentage uh, on a the number of times they pass to the number of times they run the ball. Uh, they're not super dynamic as an offense. So the 83rd total offense in the country, 389.9. Uh, they do most of it on the ground. Uh, James Gilbert is their kind of chief running back with Skylar Thompson chipping in. There's a lot. Um, Texas has played better running quarterbacks and better running backs. And I don't know which, which team comes out and is able, is it, is it again, we talked about it on Tuesday, is it the team that shut down Chuba Hubbard or is it the team that got roasted by Puka Williams? Yeah. Yeah. Puka shelled them for sure. Um, I, uh, it is actually an outlier. If you look at Todd Orlando's time at UT, that an offense with a, you know, a run first mentality is able to, to really, you know, take advantage of him. Honestly, the the entire argument about why Todd Orlando may not be the right defensive coordinator for Texas is that he struggles with your prototypical Big 12 offense spread, maybe a mobile quarterback um, throwing the ball for 400 yards. That that has been his MO. He's been very, very good at stopping traditional offenses. He's been very good at, at stopping teams that that, that want to run the ball. You look at Achuba Hubbard, you look back to Iowa State a couple years ago, he's very good at taking um, that dimension away. You have to give it to Puka for just absolutely um, outdoing it. But but again, because Carter Stanley looked like a Heisman candidate against that pass defense, I think it probably helped Puka get a little free. He, he was magnificent, don't hear me wrong, did a lot of it on his own. But I, I think that's probably more the exception than the rule. I, you, you look at Coach Chris Kleiman, and, and he fits kind of perfectly the, the Bill Snyder wizard mentality of, of do more with less. Um, you know, a guy who came out of nowhere, Northern Iowa, um, defensive backs coach who became the North Dakota State defensive backs coach and eventually started the dynasty there as the head coach doing less with more. Um, and so I'm not saying they're not dangerous. I'm not saying that it's a team you want to play right now when they're hot. They're on the upswing while Texas is on the downward swing. But just purely from the weapons that they have, um, this will in no way, 
be the biggest challenge and biggest test that Texas faces in their final four um, games that they have, or even in this season, right? I think if you, you slot Kansas State in there, they're somewhere like the fifth hardest game on the schedule. But let's take all that with a big Bill Snyder size grain of purple salt. Ron Prince beat us. I mean, they, they beat Texas. They get up for it. I think they, they might secretly, they don't advertise it, but they might secretly hate Texas, or I should say enjoy beating Texas more than anything or any rival or, or anyone else, although they do very much hate Kansas. But they are. this is a rivalry game for them. They're going to be up for it. So Texas can't come in lackadaisical or entitled. I think that's that's the thing for me. If, if Skylar Thompson was a better passer... I would be terrified of the RPO. And yeah. I, I, we talked about it again on Tuesday. One of the things that, that Orlando is good at, he's, he's struggled these last two seasons, but one of the things he's good at is taking away what a team does really well and forcing the other facet of their offense to beat you. And sometimes it backfires and the Kansas quarterback looks like a world beater. Sometimes it backfires and Jalen Hurts puts the team on his back. But sometimes Oklahoma State, you shut down the two most dynamic players in the conference. And Spencer Sanders puts on the cape and, and tries to do it himself, right? And so I think this is going to be a game where T.O. probably does what he does sometimes where he brings an extra uh, linebacker or lineman onto the field, maybe shading um, yeah. defensive end in or shading um, big Keandre Coburn down a little bit, close, less head up on the center and more a gap. It just changes up the alignment a little bit to force, uh, force that running game outside where Texas has speed. Now, granted, those guys have struggled tackling all year, but I anticipate with Stearns and Foster both healthy, you see Brandon Jones closer to the line where he's been really, really good in run support. And I think what I'm anticipating seeing on Saturday is Todd Orlando really focusing in on the run and making Skylar Thompson beat you with his arm. Gerald, can I say this? When you just said making Skylar Thompson beat them with their arm, if if Skylar Thompson does another, oh, well, this guy's a Heisman contender performance like quarterbacks have done every week against Texas. If Skylar Thompson throws for 300 yards against this defense, even with all the caveats of players returning, all that good stuff, if he does that, with his 170 yards he's averaging coming in, um, if that happens, I might not watch the rest of the season. I'm not being entirely physical. I'll just come on the podcast and scream, ah, but it'll be much louder. I, I, I don't know if I can watch a Texas team. If that happens again, Todd Orlando needs to be fired on the spot. Like, his, he, you know, he... he it's, that's it. Like, if that happens, because he's not a good quarterback at all. He's not. I mean, neither was Max Duggan or Carter Stanley or whatever. But there's no way that that can happen again. Right? If Skylar Thompson beats Texas passing, I will study for and apply for my real estate license and sell Todd Orlando's home in Austin. <laughs> like that, that is how I feel about, about Skylar Thompson beating Texas as a passer. And you know what? Two weeks from now, maybe I will have my real estate license. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but that's a great side hustle, right? Doesn't 
we'll, we'll, we'll just see how that goes. Uh, again, and we say that because Kansas State is the number 113 passing offense in the country. They're averaging 171.6 yards per game, 1,300 yards, which Sam Ellinger hit in, I think, three weeks of the season. Uh, so not a great, great passing attack. But what they do really well is hold on to the football. And I think that's going to be something interesting. If you can keep the Texas offense off of the field, how quickly can they score to uh, to come out on top? It, it, it could look like a weirdly low-scoring game if Kansas State comes out and decides we're just gonna we're just gonna mash and keep you off the field. One of my favorite games of the past couple years was the OU Army game uh, last year, I believe. It was on, first of all, it was because it was on like closed circuit television and the only way to find it was some guy periscoping it on Twitter. Um, God bless technology in the, in the, in the 2010s. Um, but also because OU scored in like three seconds every time they got the ball. They just drove 90 yards, touchdown, Kyler Murray, touchdown, whatever. They almost lost that game because Army choked them, stranglehold with the triple option, ran the play clock down as far as they could, just drudged it out, made it just a muck. And they almost did it successfully because you get the ball last, you win. Um, because they also scored on that very bad OU defense. But there's a there's a world where the number three time of possession Kansas State Wildcats can just, like, drag it out and keep UT's obviously significantly more potent unit, the offense, off the field and make this one a little bit scary. Now, I, I do think, like we said, Texas's defense is suited not to do that, but there is a darkest timeline. I'm hoping we not we don't go there, but folks, our job is to prepare you for all outcomes. We are like um, we are like the uh, the Marvel. Um, this is your wheelhouse, Benedict Cumberbatch. What's Doctor his name? Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. I obviously knew that. I, I was just lobbing you, you a softball. Yeah, we are Doctor Strange. We are seeing all of the possible iterations that could come here, um, and and we feel pretty good. But that is the one. That's the one that not the one that wins, but that's the one that loses. Is if they if they keep the ball for 38 minutes and Sam Ellinger scores four touchdowns, but we somehow lose 31 to 28 because they just like a snake python strangling out the game are able to to put us in a in a uh, chief strongbow sleeper hold. Then that's bad, guys. We got to get them off the field. And I think that's a good transition to. Uh, the Kansas State defense against the Texas offense because the Texas offense is one of the most potent units in the country. You kind of have to take away um, the TCU performance from Sam Ellinger. Outside of that, he's been, I guess the last two games, uh, if you can, if you kind of isolate those two games, you can really see how, how well he's done there. What the number like 11 uh, total offense in the country, the number 11 scoring offense in the country, uh, number 19, excuse me, in total offense, number 11 in scoring offense. Uh, so they've been good where Kansas state has been good, but not great. Total defense are giving up uh, 353 yards on the top 50, uh, number 26 in scoring defense. And I think some of that has to do with the time of possession battle, but there's there's a lot of of numbers and stats we can look at, but I think the one that we the two that we really have to look at for Kansas State is third downs and red zones, and those are very much a tale of two defenses. Yeah, I it, I think I think that is where the game is is going to be be won or lost, right? I think the the um, Kansas State defense comes in number two in the country uh, in third down 
defense. And, and the things that we said that Texas wins the game in the beginning of the season in our early game recaps is controlling time of possession, winning the turnover battle, converting on third downs. It's not magic science. You just do that really well and and you win games, but Texas has done that to great a plum. Their their, you know, long drives that they're known for last year that they've had some this year are often hinged on third down uh, completions. You you saw lots of stats that told you Devin DuVernay was the best in the country uh, on third down. It, it you know catching the ball and moving the sticks just is an absolute weapon. And then oh by the way you have Colin Johnson. Um, Texas struggled a little bit though, and they they came in second in the nation. They dropped all the way to third behind Ohio State and Alabama. Good company to keep, um, but they dropped down to fifty four point one percent. They got eight of eighteen last week, but something has to give. The thing that that gives me pause when looking at the red zone numbers is when you get to the red zone against Kansas State, you're going to score. But getting to the red zone, they're they're worst in the country in uh, in red zone defense. However, they're tied for tenth best in the country, keeping teams out of the red zone. They only have 19 red zone attempts. They're six off from the top spot, and I believe they're the best in the Big 12. So. I think getting to the red zone for Texas is huge. But again, if, when you get there, you, you're going to convert, at least I think, from what the statistics bear out. And so I think that's something big to see. And, and Colin Johnson needs to win those corner balls. And I really think this is a spot where Texas needs to figure out if, if, and can, it, if it can run in the red zone without Sam Ellinger taking all of those body blows. Because that... That I every time I see Sam Ellinger running a QB sneak up the middle, I have a flashback to sitting in my ex girlfriend's dorm room uh, and watching Colt McCoy lose everything he had built in those last two years, and and it still crushes me, right? Like it absolutely crushes me. I was I was just graduated. My girlfriend at the time was a senior. I know we've talked about my age, so it's not a weird thing that happened. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it, it's just like every time he takes one of those shots, I just have that that terrible flashback to one of the worst evenings of my life. Yeah, and 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 I was I was there, and, and I I still very much remember the guy on the headset like was wearing the you know over the ear old guy My favorite headphones guy. out. Alabama fan and just giving me updates from Alabama radio. He, he never took them off. He listened to the radio and watched the, the game like a true dad. Um, but Alabama fan sitting next to me and, and no one in the stadium knew it, but he said, Colt's not coming back. And I said, Oh yeah, right. You know, you're rubbing it in. He said, no, 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 no. Colt's not coming back. And so it just crushed me as well in the stadium, but not to speak ill guys. Cause we don't want to put that juju out there. Um, I agree with you that let's get some running back, some touches. Hey, let's use, all of our big guys, let's put a package where we have Epps and we have Johnson and you have to decide which one uh, is going to beat you in a jump ball. But the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching in the red zone is if Kansas State says, hey, you know what? People always score on us when they get down here. Why don't we do the thing that other teams do that's a very, very effective defense and just tackle Colin Johnson? I'm not being a biased fan when I say I don't think any other wide receiver in the Big 12 is officiated, especially in the red zone, the way that Colin Johnson is. If he puts his hand on a player to push their hands off, it's offensive pass interference. He could get mauled, tackled, have uh, have his brother, you know, Kirk Johnson get uh, you know, Dudley boised because he was standing on the sidelines close to it, and they still wouldn't call it. They just truly 
I again, I don't know if it's, he's too big. They feel like it's a disadvantage. But Big 12 refs aren't calling that, and teams are running that play. That's the way they play him uh, is just, you know, see if they're going to call it. And so maybe that's Kansas State's surefire way of like, well, you know, if we if he try to throw it, we'll just tackle the big receivers. And if they try to run it, we'll put all of our dudes and, and try to stop Sam. And, and maybe, you know, maybe that's an effective strategy. But I like to think Texas and Tim Beck uh, have something up the sleeve. They, they've they got to do something. The, the officiating against Colin Johnson uh, has been absolutely atrocious this year. Bad even for the Big 12. And I think A.J. Parker is probably going to be the guy that draws that uh, – that comparison. So Kyle, I, I don't really know where to go from here. Cause there's so much, um, there's so much that, that we can wrestle with and discuss here against Texas. It just looks like a supremely winnable game, but there's just so many things that give me pause as, uh, as someone who has to look at this team with a critical eye. Yeah, and all, all your stats that you gave about them not being a truly elite defense go out the window when you think they held Heisman favorite Carter Stanley to 115-yard passing um, and Puka Williams, who legitimately is good enough to, to you know, be in a at least uh, Doak Walker conversation, I don't know about Heisman, but um, is legitimately excellent. They held him to 61 yards. So they can rise, and that was a rivalry game and everything, but they can rise up and be good. But again, I think the Texas offense has something to prove after they're worth showing. And, and I'll talk a little bit about just how bad uh, QB1 was in our in our firing Smokey. But I, I think um, you take all of the things we talked about, this cauldron, and I use that specifically because you know the, the wizard is no longer there. But this cauldron of items, and, and you, you bake it in the you know the, the crazy history about Kansas State and how they get up for this game. The um, you know the ability for uh, you know Texas to match up pretty well in what their offense can do. Texas defense matches up pretty well in what they can stop. What Kansas State wants to do, things should make you feel pretty good. But I just come away like I, I have no confidence. You know, I, I take the account that I say the players are going to be fired up. I have no confidence. I just feel like that's what should happen as a Texas fan. If it doesn't happen, eh, there's going to be some angry people on the Internet. Regardless of what happens, there's going to be angry people on the Internet. When Texas wins, people are angry about something. When people when Texas loses, people are angry about something. So now's the time, Kyle, where we fire Smokey. We've got to look at our predictions for Saturday. What are you thinking? What's your prediction for the Saturday matchup against Kansas State? Let me just go ahead and say, and I'm not a math guy, but some math guy tweet at me replies of Texas. I think I got last week's because I said they would move the ball um, six yards. Uh, I I don't know if I specified. Maybe I did that it was going to be positive. But my, my Smokey last week, they did lose seven more yards. Texas, the only team. Um, with, well, they have the best golf score in the country. The only team under par. Um, but uh, tweet at us and let us know. But this week, I want to focus on something a little more central to the game than just how you return, uh, you return punts. I want to look at QB1, man. I want to look at Sam, the man, Ellen God. Sam had 99 yards in the second half on 24 attempts. He threw three of his four interceptions in that second half. I think they all came on greater than seven yards. They all came on second, third, or fourth down. Usually two of them came on third or fourth down and long. You're forcing him to force it. But 99 yards in a half where he played, where he wasn't injured or he wasn't benched because you know they had the lead, is his lowest producing half of his career. 
Sam Ellinger had two runs that were scrambles, but he just stopped running. He is going to come back in this game against a very good Kansas defense. Like, again, I'm not taking anything away from them. They showed up against OU, and that's hard to do. But against a very good Kansas def- um, excuse me, um, Kansas State defense, I think Sam is going to right the ship. First of all, I think he's going to throw zero interceptions. And then I think between the ground and the air, he's going to account for greater than three and a half touchdowns. So let's call that four. Um, four touchdowns and zero interceptions from QB1 gets him back to the standard level of excellence that we've come to know love and respect i love how you set a line for sam ellinger at (laughs) three and a half which is just uh you know what it's one of the reasons why i love you kyle it's one of the reasons why i love you so uh i am fire and smoky this week i'm actually gonna look at the defense texas has been i don't know how else to say this but exceedingly average at putting pressure on the quarterback. They, they've they had some good games. They've had some not-so-good games. Looking at uh, the defensive statistics, I mean, you look at they had, you know, four sacks against LSU and then really have just been okay. They've gotten blanked a couple of times. I think Texas is going to force Skylar Thompson to play a passer and that's going to turn into three sacks on Saturday. I think Texas is going to finish the game sacking Skylar Thompson three times and keeping that offense uh, from getting going in a way that keeps Texas off the field. I really think that's going to be a difference maker for Texas. Uh, do you, are you, are you, do you want to put any context on that of who you think is going to get um, one at least, or you just want to put it general? Not to put your feet to the fire. I, I mean, if I have to, I mean, the easy answer is probably, I think Osai, Mitchell, and Roach would be the three guys that I would say probably would come away with one. Um, I also could see like a well-timed, the fir- the only well-timed defensive back blitz of the season working out for them as well. Uh, no, I mean, all shots at Todd Orlando's terrible secondary blitzing this year. But uh, prob- it, probably it's going to be, a mix of Osai, Mitchell, and uh, and Roach on those three sacks. I like that. And, and Roach did have four tackles for loss last week, one sack and one pressure. So the dude is is feeling it. Maybe like looking at the draft status, trying to shore up the end of his career here. But I like Roach for one of those. But I like that. It's a bold prediction. But now we're going to cover the entire burnt orange universe with our burnt orange lenses. We are going to look at all the things, uh, not exactly specifically, UT related but with a UT uh, tinge to them and we can say not UT related now because we lost both the Pouncey brothers we'll start there unfortunately we had uh, Jordan Pouncey wide receiver um, man known for wearing cowboy hat uh, in the in the postgame videos and in that viral video catching on the jet ski um, is deciding to uh, to transfer. I don't know what the Silver Spurs policy is for the transfer portal to other fraternal organizations, but uh, we also are uh, losing his brother, uh, Ethan Pouncey, who was a uh, a pretty big-time cornerback 
commit in this 2020 class. So um, there is a there is a, a hole at that position. Um, they but they both are losses. Certainly, Pouncey had a lot of promise. He was never able to really realize that. I think the fact that um, we saw uh, some guys get in with Eagles out who we hadn't seen all season and we still didn't see Pouncey, maybe told him everything he needed to know. And maybe that was the trickle down. Maybe it was coming. I don't know. Uh, but we do, we will be pouncy less. And this is a very offensive heavy class. I mean, uh, Keaton Crawford is the only cornerback currently in the class. I think uh, Hullaby is a guy that could play a couple of different spots. Probably not corner. He's probably more. I, I don't know what Hullaby's going to play. He's a weird projection for me. Uh there's a Keely Ringo that's oh, still yeah. on the uh, still on the uh, on the verge, and even after losing three commits in the last two weeks, Texas is still um, sitting sixth in the country with this recruiting class, and uh, they're at the top of the Big Twelve, uh, looking for that back-to-back Big Twelve recruiting title. That's right. There is a Keely Ringo size hole in this class, and that would just be sweet. Sweet revenge. If they got the number one corner in the nation with the uh, you know former head coach uh, Tim Beck, uh, he's at the Segura, I believe, where, where Beck coached. And uh, there's there's a uh, there's a former Longhorn on the staff. I'm trying to remember now. My mind just went blank. But there is a uh, a former Longhorn on the staff in that high school. So there is there is UT being put in his ear. That I think UGA has the early lead. But we'll 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 cross that bridge when we when we get it. Um, in other football news, North Carolina. Man, it feels like we say this every week. Lost a heartbreaker. Uh, UNC goes down to UVA uh, to lose that pole position in the Coastal Division of the Atlantic. They fell 38-31 to to fall to 4-5 and five on the season. Poor Mac. Man, I, I really... <laughs> I really want Mac to get this team to a bowl game. And, and even the turnaround that they've already had is impressive. But for these seniors, for guys that stuck around and they didn't have to, like I really want them to get six games. They've got Pitt, who is a pretty solid team. I don't know. That one's a toss-up. I think they can probably beat Mercer. I, I don't know. And then NC State currently sitting at 500 to close the regular season. they got to win two or three to take the senior class to a bowl and get them that experience, which would, again, I love seeing those types of stories. And again, they've won three more games than they did a year ago. So still a big win, but not quite as positive as we once thought. But that's all right. We're so rooting for you, Mac. And other heartbreaking news last week, we had a bye week. I thought it was going to be a great time to watch the 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 grad program of UT. Uh, Shane Bouchelle and SMU number 18 SMU fall to number twenty-four Memphis in a in an electric shootout, fifty-four to forty-eight. Um, it was it was crazy. Bouchel did all of his part, thirty-four for fifty-four, four hundred fifty-six yards, and three TDs. Dropped a couple absolute dimes in there, but the team just couldn't quite get the stops uh, from the Memphis offense. So they do uh, lose their first game of the season, and unfortunately, um, you know that 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 off chance that they could be the UCF, the Boise State, the the spoiler fly in the ointment to a playoffs probably came to an end for Mr. Bouchelle. It's tough. That was that was a that was a good game and watching kind of Shane put together the comeback was great. And I want everybody in the internet to shut up about the unnecessary two-point conversion at the end because that wasn't an unnecessary two-point conversion. The coach doesn't think they beat Memphis in overtime. And so you got to get a two-point conversion somewhere, and he thought he had the right play dialed up. So a touchdown and an extra point wins you the game if you get that onside kick, which 
that all that defense hadn't stopped them in all of the fourth quarter. So when your guys are hot, time to go. Yeah, that's uh, I don't have any problem with it. And, you know, I love throwing to tackles as we evidence from the West Virginia game with the Sam Cosme play. So clearly there's still some uh, some knowledge being shared from the Bouchel samples uh, Longhorn brain trust there. So I love it. Um, but, guys, we talked a lot about in this podcast about bringing in new coaches. Hey, if this guy doesn't get it done, bring in a new coach. New coaches are hard, y'all. Willie Taggart was fired, the man who was going to turn Florida State around, um, got the axe this week. Uh, Second-year coach never quite got it going. I know Tom Herman in his second year thought we turned the corner. We still are to be seeing what happens in the third year as we close this out. But it's not always sunshines and roses. The uh, It's the same way the backup QB2 is the, the most popular guy in town. The grass is always greener, the whole thing. Um, it's tough. It's tough to win. It's tough to, to take a program that was once great and just assume it'll automatically be great again. Firing a coach in three years or fewer says more about the school and the fan base than it does the coach. I like that a lot. And actually, Herb Street had some words. This is Kirk who once said that we were a cesspool. He kind of uh, showed that his 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 vitriol is not specifically burnt orange tinged. Uh, he said, quote, I'm done with FSU. I don't want to talk about them anymore. I hate the way they represent themselves. They just want to fight. Go get into the UFC. They're done. That program is done. Kirk. Firing shots, man. Um, the, the the rumor right now that I'm loving is that Lane Kiffin might be the favorite to take over that, or at least he put himself as being interested, which is fantastic. Now in the uh, the next level, Charles Omenahu uh, was graded out as the number five defensive rookie. Gerald, I told you a couple weeks ago we got to start getting a saying because we have Punas, but we got to have something for Chuck. You, you, you got anything for us? Not yet. I'm workshopping some things though. All right, very good. Well, if he keeps it up, we'll have a lot of time to talk about him. Other guys to talk about, Holton Hill was activated. The Vikings 53-man roster. Everyone across the 40 Acres alumni are rooting for success for the man and to keep his head on perfectly straight and take some other dudes' heads off with some big hits. But speaking of big hitters and guys who play in the secondary, Earl Thomas, that is, the good one, um, had an interception this week for the Ravens in their uh, win over, again, the, uh, the Death Star um, Patriots. So that moves us. Earl's not there, but moves us into the Seahawks corner. Gerald, that's this is what we're all watching on Sundays. If we watch on Sundays, the Austin Seahawks. Got to start it right at the top or at the bottom, if you will, with the leg. Dixon had a nice 63, 64 yarder out of the back of his uh back of his end zone. Just classic doing Dixon things, flipping the field. Um, three tackles for Puna in an overtime win and then the uh, the one that we're excited to see Quandre the Giant I think his injury was a little bit more severe they thought he might play right away still wasn't able to make his debut maybe next week we will get our third in the Seahawk gang yeah I I'm excited to see him uh, take the field I really want to see that that to me I just love what they're doing in Seattle and as a Miami Dolphins fan uh, having so many Texas players on one team makes it really really easy for me to find a team to um I don't know how else to say this to go behind the Dolphins back as they continue to not give me what I need out of a football team but I do want to really quickly shout out Eric Highland on Twitter for pointing out somebody that we've been ignoring in the burnt orange lenses University of Texas alum Kyle Shanahan leading the San Francisco 49ers to an 8 and 0 
start. Now, uh, he does point out that they're the last remaining undefeated team in the NFL, which is always great to see. It's it's tough because it's so tangentially Texas. Like, he's from Colorado. He did go to Texas, but then he immediately was like, I'm going to be a GA US, at UCLA, uh, and then jumped to the NFL immediately. And part of my reason for, uh, I don't want to say it, not talking about Kyle Shanahan, because it really was just kind of an oversight, but... Somebody in the BLN comment section this week said that Texas should hire Kyle Shanahan. And that's a level of delusion that I didn't think existed anywhere else. I assume you're saying that he would not leave his his cush gig in the Bay Area as the coach of the San Francisco 49ers to come uh, coach and recruit college kids. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that a guy that spent one year as a college coach before jumping to the NFL and spending his entire career in the NFL will not likely come to the university of Texas to coach. Yeah, that's, that's, that's perfectly fair. I, I do think there was, there was people actually clamoring when Herman, when the Herman hire happened, that it should be Kyle Shanahan that we're looking at when we think about young prodigies. He was with the, uh, the Falcons OC at the time. Um, again, it's a little bit different. Just, to, it's not just football. You have the culture, the program building, the recruiting, all of that. Um, but there were, I mean, this is not a new thought that he, he has been on certain Longhorn fans, uh, minds for, for some time. So we will make a better effort to shout out everyone in the Longhorn family. You played for UT. You're here, your family. And speaking of family, it pains me to say this. I love talking about Ariel Atkins in the Washington Mystics. I have to, unfortunately, say there was a second Longhorn in the greater D.C. area who became a champion. Trace Pereira won the World Series with the Washington Nationals. Congrats, Trace. We're all really happy for you. It's very exciting. So, so excited. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on the twitter.com at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Go Spurs go.